don't wait for perfect conditions before you start don't wait till you even fully understand or comprehend the market before you build and move forward i would just say just get going and build brick by brick day by day so seed by seed and just just keep going and i felt like i could i could hit the mark um, at a higher quality for um, reasonable prices so i don't know i had a bit of an arrogance about me thinking that yeah i can definitely design better than them plus we give back so if i can design better and we're making social impact and these businesses are making millions there's no reason why i can't make enough to at least sustain myself and then get to a point where we can hopefully make millions so one of our greatest strategies to be honest was was trying to understand what the potential market was going to be and then reverse engineering to try and place the brand in places where that market would gravitate gravitate towards so i remember quick one if you'd like to support us on our journey to a thousand please do consider subscribing or following this podcast wherever it is you're listening to this thank you hello hello what is going on everybody and welcome to 1000 voices the podcast on a mission to interview 1000 inspirational black britons my name is tevin kitto and today i spoke with william adoasi the founder of vitae london vitae london is a luxury watch brand with a sustainable twist with every watch that they sell they directly support children in sub-saharan africa either with one a solar lamp which is important when they're in areas that don't have easy access to electricity or two with two sets of school uniform to see them through the academic year. To date, they've been able to directly support over 8,000 children in sub-Saharan Africa, and they've recently reached a $1 million sales milestone as a brand. It was an incredibly inspiring interview, and no matter what field or industry you're in, I'm sure that there are gems and advice that you can take and apply to your own life. So, without further ado, this is 1,000 Voices, and here we have William Adoasi. Cool. Does it say it's recording on your side? All right. Perfect. Great. All right. Thanks a lot. Um, thanks a lot for oh, agreeing to come to 1000 Voices. Well, man, how are you today? Uh, thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm great. I'm great. Just just hustling on, hustling on. Of course, man. Of course, man. Um, well, as I've said before, very much appreciate, like really appreciate you taking your time out to come and share your story today. Um, and yeah, I'm sure a bunch of people are going to be inspired, as people already are. I mean, Vite is getting out there. Um, and I've, I hear it all the time. I know people are going to be inspired by your story and your lessons learned, man. Um, so to kick things off, yeah, let's just talk about your upbringing. You know, where, where did you grow up? Um, what was your upbringing like? Yeah, so um, I grew up in South London um, in an area called Camberwell, to be specific. Um, so, yeah, Southampton Way, so it verged on yeah, Camberwell and Peckham. Um, first born of seven children. Um, both my parents are from Ghana. So, yeah, they moved to the UK yeah, about three or four years prior to me being born. Um, and, yeah, growing up in South London was an interesting thing, to say the least, back then. Um, it had a lot of a lot of varying challenges, um, but like I wouldn't I wouldn't want it any other way. Like I, I thoroughly did love it. I love the community aspect, although there were like issues, there were dangers. One thing I will always say is that yeah, the community was phenomenal, um, and I'm still still good friends with some people that I grew up with back then too. 
And then, yeah, at the age of 11, um, I got a scholarship to go to a boarding school up in the Midlands. So, yeah, I left the environment that I was extremely familiar familiar with and, yeah, was one of a few black uh, children in this in this boarding school. Um, so that was, yeah, a massive eye-opener for me and a, like a, a real big moment of self-discovery um, and actually not only self-discovery, but under, like a wider understanding of the world um that we live in and, and that we play in so yeah that's it that's a bit about me and my upbringing cool man yes yeah, it's, it's interesting when you speak about when you went to the, the boarding school when you was 11 years old and be one of the only black people there so in one of the previous um interviews i was speaking with samata and she because i i come from a fashion background as well originally well, i moved over now but originally and what i found was that mm. it wasn't diverse at all i was always the only black person there and it doesn't, I don't know, it's, I find it personally quite difficult to, at first, because I grew up in East London, very, very difficult to integrate. It's like, it's a, it's a whole different lingo. You know what I'm saying? It's, everything is different. Mm-hmm. I find it so difficult to um, integrate. And it just took a while for me to get a bit more comfortable and to be able to integrate properly and to conversate properly. Did you have those same sort of issues like, when you went to school? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, it was just, it was such an such a weird environment and I think even at a young age I learned the power of code switching and like how to be the guy from from ends in quotes like how to be that dude like the lingo knowing how to speak in the ends but then going to boarding school and having to present a certain way and knowing how to speak in those environments so yeah from a very young age I was able to grasp that I had to be I wouldn't say a different person, but I had to slightly change my tact and my approach depending on the environment that I was in. So I think it, I think it actually gave me a lot of powerful lessons subconsciously, um, and a lot of skills that I actually use today were as a result of, of those times there. So, yeah, I would definitely say that it, it taught me a lot, hundred percent. Them early years. So, what were your early goals and ambitions then? What did you want to be? The early years, uh, there was a, there was a time that I wanted to be a dancer. There was a time that I wanted to be a rapper. There was a time, I I don't know. I had I had loads of varying ambitions. I think entrepreneurship has always been there in in the back of my mind, but I don't know. From a very young age, I think I just wanted to be on stages in some way or, or shape. Like I was just a, yeah, I was a bit. I was pretty outgoing. Um, I was often performing. I was often the the joker in the class that tried to fool the teacher and made it make everyone laugh. So, yeah, I think I just kind of wanted to be on stages. It's probably the best way to to describe my aspirations at the time. <laughs> cool, man. Cool. All right. So, what happened after that? So, you've gone to school. You finished boarding school. What was the next yeah. major step in your life after that? So, yeah, after boarding school, I returned to London for college, went to a a college in Bermondsey called City of London Academy, was there a couple years, then I went to uni for a year. After a year of uni, I dropped out of the first university that I was at, and I started my first business. Um, And even before that, actually, I'd done an internship at Bloomberg, which opened my eyes to the world of business, the world of um, finance and and just like it was just strange the amount of money I was earning on that internship and just being like wild by it um but yeah so age of 19 quit uni 
and I started a sports academy called Starlight Sports Academy. At the time, um, what I found was that, and and myself and it was two other business partners, we found that there were so many people, who, so many young people around the same age as us who had these different giftings and talents within the sports field. They'd picked up varying different qualifications, um, but they weren't doing anything with it. And we also saw that there was a gap in the market because a lot of um, primary schools could access funding from the government for after-school clubs and for sports sporting activities. So we just matched those two entities together. We recruit as many young people with FA level one and two qualifications, and we sought and we pitched them into as many schools as we could. Um, and that was that was my first business. So yeah, I ran that for three years, and then the government pulled that funding. And our business model just, yeah, didn't really work anymore. Didn't really make sense, unfortunately. We should have been thinking wider and looking at other um, streams of income. Um, so yeah, that business had to unfortunately stop. Um, and then from there, um, I went to uni part-time while working in the city. So I was working in the city as an insurance broker. Then I worked as a recruitment consultant. Um, so that was from the age of around 22 till uh, 26, um, which is the age I was when I started my, my brand now, which is Vitae London. Um, so yeah, that's been a bit a bit more about the journey. Yeah, and I suppose most people now would probably know you for Vitae. I know you, you do, well, you've been working on a few other things on the side. Right now, Vitae, I suppose, what most people will know you for. With the Vitae, so did you, when you first started it, did you like leave your job and just jump in both feet and it's like, cool? I'm doing this or did you sort of like work on yeah. it part-time at first and then I, I'm a bit of a madman um so to be honest the wiser thing would have been to juggle it on the side while working a full-time job right but I decided to as soon as I got the first batch of watches tell my manager that I had enough and that I wanted to start my own business and I literally just dived straight into the business that that's what I gave all my energy all my attention all my time um, and I don't know, I just had the mindset that, so just to give more context of Vitae, yeah, we're a watch brand, um, Vitae is Latin for life, so our whole mantra is to be the watch brand changing lives, so in essence, with each watch we sell, we help support a child for education across sub-Saharan Africa, and yeah, when starting the business, I looked at other players in the market, and I felt like I could design better than them, um, I'd always had a passion for watches, and I felt like I could I could hit the mark um, at a higher quality for um, reasonable prices. So I don't know, I had a bit of an arrogance about me thinking that, yeah, I can definitely design better than them. Plus we give back. So if I can design better and we're making social impact and these businesses are making millions, there's no reason why I can't make enough to at least sustain myself and then get to a point where we can hopefully make millions. So. I guess, yeah, that was my mindset when starting Vitae. And yeah, the journey's been been great ever since. Um, as I said, we launched around 2016. Um, and yeah, since launching the brand, we've sold in over 40 countries, um, supported over 8,000 children through education. Um, we've recently been stocked in the two largest retail stores in America, so Nordstrom and Macy's. Um, and had, yeah, loads of amazing celebrity endorsements. So, yeah, just trying to scale year on year, day by day. 
With the Vitae angle, yeah. So what I'm interested to know is that because you got other businesses or maybe other areas in fashion you could have gone into, which I feel just from looking at it probably would have been easier to do. So like if you used to do clothing, for example, it's easier. You know, you, you would know what steps you'd need to take to go and start a clothing line. With a watch brand, what was the process? How does one start a watch brand? <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because initially Vitae was going to be a clothing brand. Um, I'd done the research. I'd, I'd done some great designs. I built a website, was about to go live and, and tell the whole world about it. And then I just, I took a step back and I just felt that, I just felt that there wasn't enough about the brand, one, to make it distinct. And two, I just felt like just going down the path that so many people had gone down, there was no way I was going to stand out. And also, it wasn't really a, an area I was as passionate about as I was watches. So after kind of adding all those elements, I, I told myself to kind of take a step back um, and start again. So first thing I did when starting the watch brand is that I began reaching out to different factories um, just to understand what kind of minimum order quantity I would have to purchase to understand what kind of prices um, the products would be. And at that point, actually, I had about 10 different factories all within WhatsApp. I would speak to one factory, get them to reduce the minimum order quantity and the price. I would screenshot that, send it to another factory. and just kind of barter the different factories against one another to get the price as low as possible and to get the minimum order quantity as low as possible just so that I could afford this first batch um so yeah once I whittled the factories down got samples sent in I remember receiving the first ever sample and it was absolutely massive like I got my sizes and dimensions all wrong like it was just it was absolutely dreadful um but I don't know I learned so much from even that I learned from the mistakes I tend to learn more from mistakes than even my successes um, so yeah, that process went on for about a year. And then when I was finally happy with the samples, as I said, ordered the first batch of watches, told my manager I was quitting and yeah, the rest is history. Cool. And then with, um, so you launched in early, to, well, right at the start of 2016, right? What would That's you right. say was like one thing that you could attribute your success to now? Like something you've done early on that you can attribute where the watch brand is now early on or was it a series of different things you've done early on that helped you to scale and, you know, get to where you are now? Yeah, I, I think the greatest attribute was just doing, if that makes sense. Like the great, our greatest attribute was the fact that every day there was trial and error. Every day there were mistakes. Every day there was progress. Um, I think a lot of the time people have visions and, and businesses they want to start, but they end up just sitting on it and not taking action towards towards a goal, towards the vision coming to fruition so yeah for me I, I would attribute our success today down to a lot of grit a lot of determination in the early days a lot of not having a clue what I was going to do or having a clue like how I was going to build but just trying to innovate every day and trying to think and to strategize and I think yeah that's that's definitely why Vitae is is where it is today it's just been through that kind of determination and, and, and action for sure. Did you, all right, so with, when you started on as well early on, I know that you, well, Vitae was quite very active on socials. I see it all the time, especially on Twitter when you first started off. Mm. Um, 
did you have like a marketing plan you put together? Was it trial and error there? And how did you market the brand when you first started? Yeah, everything was trial and error, to be honest. Like, I'm not, I am one to plan, I am one to strategize and dream. But <laughs> a lot of the early days, it's hard to strategize and plan when there's not much data. And you only get the data through doing and trying, right? So for me, in the early days, like, one of our greatest strategies, to be honest, was was trying to understand what the potential market was going to be and then reverse engineering to try and place the brand in places where that market would gravitate gravitate towards. So I remember um, a cousin of mine is close friends with uh, Rech32. So I, I begged him to take me to go and meet Rech, went to his house, presented with him with a watch. He shared it on social media. And I feel like aligning with, with individuals like that in the early days certainly gave us a, a level of credibility. Um, and it allowed us to reach our market via a conduit, via the influencer, via the celebrity, in a way we wouldn't have been able to do ourselves. Um, so yeah, in the early days, uh, as I said, a lot of trial and error, and just trying to align with the, trying to align with the people that, um, the individuals that people in our market look to, um, just to enhance our credibility. And it's weird, even after year two, year three, people assumed we were much larger and we'd been around for much longer just due to those kind of associations. Um, so yeah, I definitely attribute a lot of the early marketing success to, to techniques like that. And when you talk about associations, so you got Rex Free 2 as one. I've seen all sorts of people wearing the watches, like the Ghana president. And then yeah. you've got Ava DuVernay. Um, there's that picture with you, Richard Branson. And then there's, I'm sure there's loads yeah. more, which is escaping my head right now. Uh, mm. How did mm. that happen? Was it all organic? Did you reach out to them or? There's, it's a lot of it's been a mixed bag to be honest but I don't know I, I honestly feel that if you go down the correct path a lot of the time things will align if that makes sense like I remember meeting Romelu Lukaku for instance um, I know he's a man of controversy these days but I, I remember meeting him at first and I was literally I was walking around New York and I'd, I'd only gone to New York because I had arranged a little pop-up shop. It didn't make a lot of money, but I, I knew it was good to raise awareness. So I'm in New York now and I turn a corner and I see him seat, seated outside a restaurant. And I'm like, that's, and the funny thing is this was before he moved to Man United. This was the summer before he moved to Man U. So he, I think he was in Everton at the time and I had forgotten his name. So I literally, I went around the corner, I Googled Black, I Googled Black Striker Everton, saw his full <laughs> name, I was like, yes, that's him. That's Romelu Lukaku. So I went up to him, I was like, how you doing, man? I'm a big fan. Um, uh, I hope you come to Man United this year. And then, because there was already like talk of him coming. And then um, he was like, yeah, I just want to go where I can win. Like I could just hear his ambition. And then from there, I told him all about the brand. I had a product, I had some products on me gifted him a watch the next day it was on his Instagram he shared about it and yeah showed love ever since so it, it, there's loads of different chance occurrences that have happened like that as well as me aggressively trying to reach out to people there's there's been a mixture of both um but yeah the organic the organic stuff has been amazing I guess it's a mixture as well like you 
well, like you said, you when you're doing, when you're actually out there doing what you're doing, um, and especially with the brand having the impact that it has, and if people are going to resonate with it, then it, that's where that would help. Um, people gravitate towards it, then it, it would help, which goes to show it's important just to put yourself out there, even if you haven't planned exactly step by step. Like I guess you hadn't, and you was learning as you're going. Put yourself out there. People might gravitate, and you don't know what opportunities you're missing by not taking action. Hundred percent. Something that'd be interesting to understand as well. So, when you started off, were there any financial barriers? There were loads of financial barriers, um, especially like the early days are crazy because there's not really enough money to pay yourself. So you try your best to cover some of your expenses. Um, and if you want to expand again, there's there's not really much resources. So yeah, face loads of financial barriers. And also I think one of the largest barriers, especially in our community, is just financial literacy and understanding. I feel like in the early days I had no clue what I had no clue about the investment world. I had no clue about so many aspects of building business and building the finance required. I remember my uncle sat me down because he's in he's in the world of finance and he was like to me oh Will love what you're building it looks great it's beautiful what's your exit plan and like I'll never forget this conversation I'm staring at him like what the heck are you like what are you talking about like I didn't know what an exit plan was an exit <laughs> strategy I didn't know what venture capital investment was I did I didn't know any of this and I think often yeah from our community the financial literacy, especially in the world of business specifically, yeah, is often missing. Um, yeah, so there, there were definitely barriers in the early days, but growing my understanding and like rubbing shoulders with the right people and also seeing a lot of examples of other people, like other black London-based entrepreneurs going to raise capital, um, like I, I like coming up, like some of my peers have been brands like Afrocentrics, um, brands like Trimit, and just like having them around me, seeing them raise capital, seeing them venture forward um, has been, yeah, super inspiring. And it's, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of highlighted to me what is possible. Um, so, yeah, I say all that to, to, to answer the question around the finance. I, I get it, man. That's cool. Thank you. Have you raised any finance um, for the brand? Yeah, so we've raised in total just over 200, 200K um, and we've generated over a million in revenue now. Um, the way we raised was firstly, we, we were chosen by Backstage Capital, um, which is a US-based uh, venture capital firm. So we were selected by them as one of, I think, yeah, one of 20 entrepreneurs, a few thousand apply, but we were chosen as one of 20 entrepreneurs slash businesses to, to receive funding from them. And then after receiving that funding, um, I kind of took their terms, like the valuation given from them, and I took it to Cedars, which is an equity crowdfunding platform. And then the remainder of the 200K I raised there. So we had over 500 people invest, raised, I think in total, like 110,000 pounds via that platform. Um, so yeah, that was our, our, our total round of raising and yeah, we're actually looking into giving people the opportunity to invest and own shares again, um, in, in the latter part of 2022. 
Cool. That sounds good. And I've heard you talk about how important it was for you, or it has been for you even right now, to immerse yourself in a community of like-minded entrepreneurs or peers. You've spoken about who some of your peers were, Trimit, Afrocentrics. Could you touch on how important it has been for you to immerse yourself in that sort of a community and how you've gone about building that community around you? Yeah, it's interesting. I think the building of the community has been largely organic. Um, it hasn't necessarily been something I ran out to get, but I think you build community by adding value to others. So, yeah, for me, it's trying to build myself as much as humanly possible, trying to build my business so that I can be a beacon of hope for others. And then you'll see that as you're building, you'll look around and then there's other people with, with similar on the similar wavelengths, buildings, um, businesses of similar sizes. And just, yeah, having conversations with them, you'll find ways where you can support them and add value to their ventures. And then nine times out of 10, they will have ways to support you and add value. And I think, I think it's so powerful to have these communities because the entrepreneurship route is, can often be lonely, can often be extremely tiresome. So to have other people on the journey who can fully comprehend what you're going through and, and, and actually understand the pain, understand the struggles, understand literally the full context of building a business from scratch, it, it's just super helpful. Um, and they often serve as reminders to just keep going because, yeah, they often say, if I've been able to do this or raise this capital, there's no reason why you shouldn't and vice versa. So. Yeah, I think it's been it's been crucial for, for us in the building of the brand. For sure. All right, let's touch on the impact side of things now. So from the last readings I've read, so your brand has been able to distribute 5,000 solar lamps and 3,000 uniform sets to children in sub-Saharan Africa. So you mentioned before 8,000, so that'd be 8,000 in total. Yeah. And yeah, can you just maybe yeah, to speak more about that, the impact side of things? Why did you decide to go down maybe the education route with children in Sub-Saharan Africa? And how's that been for you as a person and for the brand? For sure. Um, so, yeah, my, my dad's from Ghana, West Africa, as I said, both my parents are. But my dad was, my dad, my mum came from a bit more wealth, although my granddad had like seven wives, 24 children. So she didn't really get to partaking a lot of that wealth but she's she's from a wealthier background as opposed to my 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 father who who came from a poorer background and I remember him telling us stories of the struggle of having to beg um, family and friends for the basics in order to go to school um, and for me that was a yeah it was a massive eye-opener um, and I think a lot of the a main reason why we do support education initiatives is his story is is thinking of the fact that because him, one man got an education, it's crazy the impact and the ripple effect it's not only had on his life, but his children now, our lives. Now we've been able to support as a business 8,000 young people. And that's all come through one man getting an education. Um, so I think education is so powerful. Um, it allows um, cycles of poverty, um, generational poverty to be broken um, enable someone to build for themselves um, and, and venture forward and not only support and impact themselves, but impact the wider community. Um, so yeah, that's why we sought to, to make impacts with education. Um, and I would say it's been, it's been brilliant from a, 
just to be very candid, it's been brilliant from a self-fulfillment kind of angle, like knowing the impact and just feeling fulfilled knowing that and just going to see the fruit of it. Like that's just been beautiful. That's been amazing. Um, and on top of it, it's it actually, for me, it makes business sense. Yes, we do cut into our profits. Yes, it does cost money to do it. But I don't think half of the celebrities that we work with and and, and influencers would even, I don't know, I, I think half of them would struggle to maybe even connect with us without realizing that our hearts were in the same place and making a difference. Um, so it's opened up the market in a much wider way than if we weren't to have the give back element attached to what we do. So yeah, as much as it may eat into profits, not only does it make sense from a moral standpoint and, a, and an impact standpoint, it also makes business sense. There's a few things there actually to touch on. So I love that illustration you used at the start when you started speaking about how one man's education has been able to it's caused ripple effects and now 8,000 children's lives have been affected, which is mad when you put it like that and you visualize it like that, that's crazy. Mm. And for sure, yeah. I definitely agree with educational aspects. Like you've probably heard that quote, the give a man a fish and he'll eat one day, teach a man to fish and he'll eat for the rest of his yeah. life. And that's it. Like for sure. education for sure is like key, 100%. Um, and also when you speak about the endorsements or whatnot and people might have struggled to connect if you didn't have that angle behind the brand. What I got from that was the Vita, I suppose the Vita brand stands for something. It's not necessarily just a for-profit business. Obviously businesses need to turn over a profit, whatnot, blah, blah, blah. But there's it, there's, it has more, there's a substance to it. And when people hear that story and hear what the brand is about, they can connect with it. it makes business way more fulfilling, way more fulfilling. Like I'm sure you feel it yourself when you, when you've gone back and you can see, okay, we've, being able to help out in this way or that way. Like those are things that are like, you know, it lights up your heart. It makes you happy, man. Yeah, and, and it keeps you going in the hard times. Um, like business can be lonely, can be dark at times, but to know in the midst of that darkness and, and those hard times that you're literally changing people's lives, there's, yeah, there's, there's no better incentive and motivation to keep going. And I think it's beautiful to create that incentive within your business. For sure. Let's reflecting back on your journey so far. What would you say has been your highest high and your lowest low? It's a great question. Um, I'm I'm gonna answer it in a funny way. I I feel like I feel like the high the high of entrepreneurship is the fact that I'm still standing. Um, I I can't really put pinpoint one particular moment. Um, obviously being mentored by Richard Branson having the president of Ghana wear our watches, like all of these things have been monumental, but I don't know, the fact that I can still provide for my my daughters, um, I can still make sure that, yeah, they're, they're looked after, they can go to good schools. From an idea I had in my head, to me, that's a high that actually kind of outweighs any of the other highs. And I would say the lows have just been, yeah, just those seasons where, I'm not sure how I'm going to make it through to the next month. I'm not sure. Like I have to like be super innovative to even just survive. I think those have been the lows, but without those lows, I think we wouldn't have a lot of our techniques and strategies that we use to market and build the business. So even in the midst of the lows, there've been highs in them because they've taught us so much more than 
just the highs can teach you. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I've answered your question well, but I would say those have been like the highs and lows. Uh, you've answered it perfectly. It's all good. What are you grateful for now? Um, I'm grateful for my team. I'm grateful for how far we've come. I'm grateful for continual innovation. I'm, I'm grateful that we're still standing and we're still building. And yeah, I'm grateful that uh, a young black boy from a council estate in South London is now gets to rub shoulders with, like I've met people, individuals like Prince Charles, as I said, the president of Ghana, um, been invited to number 10 Downing Street. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're in, yeah, some of the biggest stores in America. So yeah, I'm, I'm just very grateful for the journey. I'm grateful for the learnings. And again, I'm grateful that I'm still here with, with more chances and opportunities to keep going. And for people who are wanting to start their businesses, who are right at the start stage or even at the idea stage, what advice would you give people like that? Yeah, the advice I would give those individuals is to, to just get going, like get moving. Don't wait for perfect conditions before you sow your seeds. Um, don't wait for perfect conditions before you start. Don't wait till you even fully understand or comprehend the market before you build and move forward. I would just say, just get going and um, build brick by brick, day by day. So seed by seed and just, just keep going. Don't be so intimidated by the scale of your vision that you end up not doing a thing at all. Um, so that's, yeah, that's what I would say to anyone who has an idea, anyone who aspires to, to build something great, just start now. And yeah, before you know it, because you've taken that step day by day, you'll look back and realize there's been progress. There's been betterment. Um, because you you obeyed that feeling within yourself to to just start. Good stuff, man. Cheers. And finally, before we go into some quickfire questions, what do you want your legacy to be? I want my legacy. I want my legacy to scream that there are no limits. Uh, above all, that's that's what I want my legacy to legacy to scream. Um, I just want to inspire others to to dream and believe beyond the circumstances or the environments that they've been placed in. I want the legacy to scream that when you do get to a point where you've you've broken out from maybe shackles of poverty, shackles of um, economical downturn, any anything that may be kind of seen as a hindrance or holding you back, once you do break out of it, I want my legacy to scream that you can help others up as well and you can help others out of it too um so yeah i'd say that's what i want my legacy to be um a legacy that screams that you can live without limits and yeah just as someone broke the limits for my dad we've been able to break the limits for others and i just hope my legacy continues to do that nice one sick thank you bro all right now let's move into some quick fire questions yeah so we've got right, 10 then. questions yeah how long do I have to answer each one? 10 seconds? 20 seconds. I'll give you 20. The, the first few I think are easier. <laughs> right, no the, the last, the, right. it gets progressively a bit more, but 20 seconds <laughs> for each one. <laughs> no problem. All right, let's go. First question. What's your favorite movie? Ooh. Um, oh, I would probably say Law Abiding Citizen. Good film. Second question. Favorite book? Uh, this is going to get some co like controversial backlash, but 
rich dad poor dad definitely like made a massive impact on me <laughs> when I was around 16 17 years old reading it so yeah I'll still say that that's my favorite book it's a serious book all right third one a song that you can never get bored of Ooh, I'm I'm a big fan of an artist in the states called Yeba um and she has yeah a million and one so like every song she releases I can never get bored of so I'll just say anything by Yeba cool all right fourth question if you can only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Mm, I think the question would should have been why would you why would that fruit be plantain? Um, so yeah, plantain is, is the food. <laughs> cool. All right. Next question: How do you start your day? Start my day with reading. So I'm currently reading a book called Ten um, X. Um, which has been, yeah, pretty powerful and like expanding my mind and how far I, I push things. So yeah, typically start with reading, then yeah, usually help with the school run with my daughters and kind of take things from there. Cool. Next question. Name three people that inspire you. My dad, 100% one person that inspires me. Um, I, I would say an individual that inspires me is, is the late Virgil Abloh um child of an immigrant went on to build one of the most popular brands in off-white went on to head up um men's at lv and yeah from a similar background to myself so definitely virgil abloh and a third one i'd probably say i say richard branson because i've i've managed to sit with him i've managed to kind of glean from his wisdom and understand how he's built his businesses so i'll go with those three cool all right next question what's the best advice that you've ever received best advice i've ever i think it's gonna sound cheesy but just keep going um like whenever i've wanted to quit and i've and i've spoken to people literally the best advice i can receive is to keep going um keep my head up and just like remember why you started remember why you birthed this vision and and keep going nice okay next question if you were to dedicate your life or the rest of your life to one charitable cause what would you pick yeah ending um removing barriers to education in sub-saharan africa so uh, like in sub-saharan africa it's the one region in the world where poverty has increased in the past 25 years and that coincides with the fact that it's the one re- it's the region in the world with the lowest amount of young people in primary school education. So I truly believe if we can remove the barriers to education and, and present education to more people, then yeah, we'll see a transformed sub-Saharan Africa. That's good, man. Um, last two questions. What's the kindest thing that somebody has ever done for you? Ooh, that's a deep one. Yeah, you, you said it would get trickier, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You got twenty seconds. Someone is. <laughs> um, I, I would just say I would just say the love and compassion bestowed to me by my parents. Obviously, you could say that it's not seen as kindness as much because of their obligation, but I definitely feel like my parents went above and beyond to ensure, even when they lacked, that I would have. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would give that to my parents. Cool. And last one. What's one thing Uh-oh. people don't know about you? 
One thing people don't know about me is that I was actually born with an extra finger out of my thumb in my left hand. So I'm I'm a bit of a mutant. I'm an X-Man. So, yeah, I'd say that's that's one thing that <laughs> yeah people probably don't know about me. Cool, man. All right, that's it. You got you got through the quick fire, man. It was nice and easy. <laughs> oh, I survived. Chris. I survived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that. Yeah, like, that's that. So once again, thank you so much. Like, really, really appreciate you coming, spending, taking some time out to share your story, share some lessons learned with our people to run through these quick fire questions. It's all very much appreciated. To round up, um, if people want to wanna find you, where would they find you? I just wanted to say thanks for the vision you have. Um, I think, yeah, if I had heard this podcast when I was younger, around a thousand voices, um, black people within the UK that are, are killing it and thriving, I think would have definitely helped and supported me. So firstly, I just wanted to say thanks for, for the amazing vision you have and bringing it to fruition. Um, and secondly, yeah, if people want to stay in, in touch with me, my social media handles are the same everywhere. So it's my full name, that's William, followed by Adwesi, A-D-O-A-S-I. Um, and then um, similarly, Vitae London is, is the same across all platforms. So V-I-T-A-E followed by London. Um, yeah, definitely connect. And yeah, Twitter is a really good place to reach me. So if you have any questions, just just drop me a tweet. Nine times out of 10, I'll respond. Nice. All right. That's that. So yeah, thanks a lot. One thing I didn't mention, I wanted to mention it for, before I forgot. My wife, um, I'm nearly married now. My wife was reminding me before I spoke to you today. Congrats. That <laughs> cheers, thank you. The first gift I ever got her was a Vita London watch. Um, so yeah, good investment Crazy. on my side. <laughs> Worked out very well <laughs> for me. <laughs> but... Thank you so much. I, like I, I, I still remember you. Still remember your name from the early days. So yeah, super grateful for you supporting from from pretty much day one. It means a lot. Oh, it's, it's all good, man. Anytime, man. Um, but thank you once again. Yeah, thank you once again for your time today, for everything you've managed to share with us. And that's that. 1,000 Voices, we're out. Okay, and that's a wrap for today. Thank you very much for tuning in. It's very, very much appreciated. So many takeaways. On a personal level, I suppose my main takeaway would be to just get started on something. If you have something you want to do, if you have something you're passionate about, just get started. Don't wait for perfect conditions before you get started. As a self-diagnosed perfectionist, it's something that I've suffered from for years. A thousand voices is an idea I've had for years and it just took me so long to get to the point where I was like, okay, let's get started. If you're listening to this, it'll be great to hear what some of your key takeaways were from this interview. You can drop us a comment or a review wherever it is listening to this and just let us know what you thought about this episode and what you think about your thousand voices concept in general. It'll be great to hear back from the community. As always, the audio podcast will be released on next Tuesday and the full YouTube video will follow on later on in the week. But that's that for today. Thank you for tuning in once again. This was on Thousand Voices and until next time, people, we're out.